You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. was really speaking to me during during worship. I have a really, uh, really important message for you all tonight, but I think it's going to detour just a little bit, which which happens. And um, I just want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But the Lord was ministering to me about um, some of you all in here. And I want to say this, and I'm going to I'm going to go in and teach some things and share some things that are going to really help you. Uh, the Lord was speaking this to me during worship that some of you all and I don't know who it is. Sometimes the Lord will show me faces and things, but I don't know who it is, but I saw that there were several of you that have been really, really uh, enamored by the enemy, uh, extra, and just more than normal. And, uh, and I just want to tell you that tonight is a great night for you to be free from the lies and the schemes of the enemy. And uh, I don't, I, to me, the devil is a zero with the rim knocked off. In other words, he's like this, but he's less than that. But I do understand that he will work overtime on people's uh, thinking on their minds. He's, he's deceptive. He's cunning. He's crafty. And I just had this sense during worship that there were some of you that were in here, maybe some that are watching on li- online, live, or on the replay, that have been dealing with some really heavy stuff. And, um, you know, I just believe that a spirit of depression, a spirit of discouragement, uh, those kind of things like that, that we're going to kick their butt tonight is what we're going to do. And uh, I know I'm speaking to some of you, just as I said, those two things, depression and discouragement. Um, there's some other things that go along uh, with it. There's a spirit of uh, condemnation um, and or shame. And, uh, and then, you know, there's some actions that have caused some of that stuff. And I know I'm speaking right to some of your all's hearts right now. And uh, I'm purposely not looking at anybody because I don't want anybody to think that I know who it is because I don't. But I know that it's people that are dealing with some really, really heavy stuff. There's even some sin patterns that have been going on. I know this is really heavy right out of the gate for a Christmas message, but I'm just being obedient to the Holy Spirit. And there's been some different things uh, that you've, you've tapped into that are not of God. And the Lord wants you to be set free tonight. You're going to be set free tonight as you sit and listen. Before we lay hands on anybody, you're going to be set free. And then we're going to show you how to walk free in Jesus' name. But I'm talking about, it, I'm talking about addictions, um, pornography. Uh, there's different things that there's been people that have held on to things that they're going to be broken off of them tonight in Jesus' name. And some of the addictions and, and just the foul play of the enemy have brought you into a place to where you're discouraged and you're, you're, um, you're at a place to where you feel hopeless, like you can't, you can't get past it. And let me tell you something. I'm going to look everyone in the eye right now, and I'm going to tell you. You can and you will get past it, and you will find the freedom of the Lord like you have never found before. Tonight is your night. Everybody say, tonight is my night to overcome because it's in my DNA. Hallelujah. So here's the thing is that I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the title, and then we'll just see where it goes. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit all of this month, and and have some tremendous teaching. If you missed that, uh, Donna ministered in both campuses, and then Quimby back here, he ministered in both campuses. Awesome. They did an incredible job. Go back and listen to that if you missed that. Uh, so I'm going to continue on the theme of the Holy Spirit, but I'm probably going to take a little bit of detour because of the way that the Lord's moving in me tonight. Um, <clears throat> but I'm going to go ahead and give you the title of my message, and then we'll just see what the Lord does. But it's, it's supernatural hope through the Holy Spirit. It's supernatural hope through the Holy Spirit. And this is what I believe is that, you know, you can face things in this, in this life and you can better yourself and you can become better and you can straighten some things out, but you really can't step into freedom and wholeness and God kind of hope unless you have the help of the Holy Spirit. There's things in this life that require as far as walking in victory, that require more than what we are able to do in our own human effort. And truly, it's a great place to come to when you say, God, I can't do this thing. Because frankly, that's what he's waiting for most of us to do anyways, to say, I can't do this. And he's like, great, I knew you couldn't. I just needed you to see that you couldn't do it. And now I can help you because you're taking your hands off the thing. 
Isn't that what he did with Moses? You know, Moses kept looking at Moses. He kept looking at his own inability. He kept looking at his, his problems and his deficiencies, his inadequacies. And I think finally, I think finally God broke through with Moses and he was able to see that it wasn't about him, but it was about him just surrendering to the Lord and God could work through him. You know, what's interesting too is that Moses had a, had a rod in his hand and, and I, it was very significant, but And I think that there was a reason why he had a rod in his hand. But I often look at that story about, you know, Moses was like, Lord, how am I going to do this? And the Lord said, well, what do you have in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, well, throw the rod down. I'm of the opinion that if he had had a brick, if he had had a a bush, uh, if he had had a chair, if he had had whatever, the Lord would have used whatever was in his hand. He just needed Moses to let go of it. And sometimes what we have, we're trying to get somewhere with what we have, and we're not getting anywhere. And it's not because what we have is insufficient, although it is insufficient, but it's because we haven't surrendered it over to the Lord. And as we surrender whatever it is, you can fill in the blanks, whatever the it is in your life, as it gets surrendered to the Lord, God can take anything and make something out of anything that has the ability to not do anything, because that's what God does. He's not here to make difficult things easy. He's here to make impossible things possible. Hallelujah. So there's this verse that I want to start with here tonight. Um, Actually, I'm going to work up to that a little bit. I'm going to give you a really good long intro, and then we're going to get into it. So it'll be an hour intro, and then we'll get into the message. I'm only teasing. Thank you. Thank you for that amen. Hallelujah. Uh, So here we are, John chapter 14, and, and verse 16, John 14. In 16, this is a great verse about the Holy Spirit, and it says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Aren't you thankful that God gave us the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't give him, and then take him, and then give him, and then take him, give him, take him? I met a guy one time, and uh, he was, I might have shared this story, but just pretend you hadn't heard it before if you had heard it. But I was, I was sitting in this, in this small uh, group of people, it was like in a home meeting kind of thing, and this was... I was, I think I was home for Christmas break, actually, on, when I was in school, and, and uh, uh, my parents brought me to this meeting, and I was supposed to minister, but then they never asked me to minister, and whatever, anyways. So this guy, he, he said this, and so when he said this, I thought, I'm not going to take this for granted and think that everybody understands that God won't leave them. He literally said this. He said, and, and it was with like, a, he had a shaking in his voice and tears in his eyes, and he said, God told me that if I mess up one more time, that he's going to leave me. And this guy was probably, he was probably 40-ish or something about my age now. And so I know I look like I'm only 22, but you know, uh, so he was probably about 40, something like that. And he had these older people. um, They weren't really older than him in the Lord, I don't think, or if they were, they didn't know much, that said nothing to this guy. Now, looking back, I wish I had grabbed the bull by the horns and said, fella, let me tell you, God will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. But I was really timid and shy and it wasn't my meeting and whatever. But, you know, there's sometimes that they, people think that the Holy Spirit works with you and in you and rests on you and all those kind of things based on how well you live. I got news for you. He rests on you. He is uh, uh, living inside of you and works with you, and he is a gift that is given to you because of how well Jesus lived. Cha-ching. Amen. That's like getting a paycheck, a really healthy paycheck for a job that you didn't do for someone who makes a ton of money. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Amen. Amen. You ever see somebody that's like, you know, a, a multimillionaire or a billionaire? Wouldn't it be awesome to get their paycheck without doing the work? Sounds like a pretty good... That's basically what happened with us in the Holy Spirit is Jesus did the work for us so we don't have to work. You can't purchase the Holy Spirit and you don't have to pay to keep them. You know, Simon the sorcerer, he in, in Acts chapter 8, he saw that, that, that power was being transferred whenever the disciples were laying hands on people, and he tried to buy that power. He tried to take money to buy it. And they said, you can't pay for this. You can't buy this. Now, most of us, we know that. We know we can't take money out of our pocket, although I don't know how some uh, prophets, prophets, I use that term, not false prophets, would be on TV selling prophecies, and people would buy them. I don't understand that, but anyways. 
Um, but somebody's, somebody's paying those guys. But uh, you can't buy things from the Lord. You don't have enough money to buy things from the, the Lord. You don't have uh, enough good works to buy things from the Lord. And I don't care how good looking you are. You don't have enough good looks to buy things from the Lord. The only way you can get what God has, including the Holy Spirit himself, is a free gift given to you. I think everybody understands that. But when the enemy comes knocking on your door saying, God may not do this, he may not help you, he may not set you free, he may not lift you out of the pit, and then list all the things that you did wrong, he's trying to bring you back into a system of works and getting wages. When God is trying to pull us out of that system, that it's already a free gift and you can never work to earn anything that God has for you. It's a total free gift by faith. Somebody shout hallelujah. John 14 and 26, it says this, but the helper... The Holy Spirit, now some translations say, uh, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all things that I said to you. And so know this, the Holy Spirit, and I, and I love the word advocate, he is, a, he is a helper, he's a teacher, but you know, he's an advocate, he's somebody that's on, that's on your side. And you know, the enemy is, he tries to work in legal terms, and a lot of times, believers, they don't understand that he was already taken into the court of heaven, and he was defeating, and all the handwriting of requirements that were written against us, saying you have to do X, Y, Z, all of those handwriting of requirements that were written against us, Jesus came and paid all of it. He did the jail time for us, if you will. He was crucified for us so that we don't have to try to pay for those things anymore. God paid the whole thing. And here's the deal. Not only did he make the payment, but he is also our defense attorney. And we don't have to pay him to do it. He's the best free defense attorney. Most of the time when you get something free, it's like too good to be true. You ever bought into a too good to be true thing? You're like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to get a million dollars in two weeks. Maybe you haven't. I've done some pretty stupid things. But anyways, I haven't done that. But, you know, anyways, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Except when it comes to Jesus, it really, it's, the truth is it's actually better than what we think. It's better than what we think. And Jesus, he is our defense attorney. He's our advocate. So when the enemy comes and says, whatever lie he would say to you, you're always going to be broke. You're always going to be caught in sin. You're always going to be stuck in that pattern. You're always going to be that worm that you are, whatever the, whatever the message would be, that's when Jesus rises up and says, wait a second here, uh, let me see. Yep, they were paid for by my blood. They've been washed in the blood and they're now seated with me in heavenly places and they've been crowned with the crown of righteousness. They're seated far above all of your nastiness, devil. And then the thing is over. And if we could just believe that, then the enemy, he doesn't have any, any schemes or, or wiles or anything to come against us with. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And so he is our helper and he's, he's our advocate. Now, this is the verse I want to get to. This is very important. Romans 15 and 13. Somebody say, I'm going to kick the devil's butt tonight. That might be Christian cussing, but it's okay. Romans 15. <laughs> you're, allowed to, you're allowed to Christian cuss in here. It's fine. Romans 15, 13. Uh, I don't mean to encourage cussing. Okay. Anyways. It says, now may the God of hope, everybody say the God of hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and patience and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, if we're dealing with discouragement, we're dealing with depression, we're dealing with anxiety, we're dealing with whatever kind of stuff that we're dealing with, even if it's some kind of sin pattern or whatever the thing is that we're stuck in, People, people stay here because they don't have any hope in their heart that something could change. They don't have any vision. They don't have any expectation in their heart that they can get past the point of where they're at. Do you know why alcoholics stay alcoholics and drug addicts stay drug addicts and pornographers stay pornographers and whatever the, the deal is that people are stuck in is because they can't see themselves different than how they currently see themselves, and it's because they have no hope in their heart that God's going to bring them up to a different level. They have no hope in their heart that the Lord can fix the thing that's been vexing them. And I'm not talking about people, 
Now, it would include people that are in the world that don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm not just talking about those people. I'm talking about people that have been born again, been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and and are walking with Jesus, but they're stuck. And I've been stuck before in my life. I have dealt with serious, I'll call it serious depression. I have dealt with anxiety, and I had a time in my life many years ago where I contemplated suicide. I was too much of a chicken to follow through with it and praise God for that. But you know, the enemy would like to have your life. And if he can't actually take your life, he will keep you bound up in circles in your mind in a vicious cycle, keeping you in this place to where you never break out of that cycle. That's the way that he works and he's working on a lot of people like that. And so we have to come to this place to where we allow God to breathe life, to breathe hope on the inside of us, to where we begin to see like God sees. You know, we were out, these are our friends from Ohio, and whenever we went to Ohio, if you wondered where we were at, we were uh, up there with all of their friends and, and their 8,000 cows. They have like 8,000 cattle on their farm. It's a pretty big farm. And, um, but anyways, we went for, for a walk yesterday, and uh, it was like there's been something about eagles this year. And every time I see an eagle, I'm like, Lord, what, what are you saying right now? Because we've had some unique things with eagles. And I don't know that that one was particularly unique, but it was there. So I'm always just paying attention. You know, God will speak to you through things like that. I used to be like, oh, well, you're just an eagle. Well, is it possible that he brought something there so that he could show you something? He could get your attention? And so I've, I've wisened up a little bit. And, you know, I was thinking about when we saw that eagle and it swooped down. I don't think it got anything out of the water, but it at least made an attempt to. And man, it was just right there. I mean, it was, I don't know, 150 yards from us probably. And um, it was awesome. And I was just thinking, you know, Lord, what are, what are you saying? And this is what the Lord, I heard the Lord say, is that I want you to see things from my perspective. And I know that could sound generic when you're, when you're, talking, about, when you're talking about an eagle. But, you know, the thing, and this is interesting because it's what I said right after I saw it. It was the Lord. And I, and I went, the Lord began, as we were walking around the lake, the Lord began to remind me of something. That, you know, when you have an eagle, and, and I saw this, uh, to be honest with you, I think I saw it on Facebook. But anyways, it was a great thing. I give, like, no credence to Facebook, but sometimes I put stuff on there, so there can be good stuff on there. But there was, there was a picture of an eagle, and there was a description, and it was really simple, but it really stuck with me. So, um, but this eagle had gone, and it had picked up a snake, and it brought it high up in the air. And, you know, when a snake, when a bird is in the air, it's, he's in the sweet spot, right? I mean, birds, they have the advantage there. But when a snake is off the ground, it doesn't have anything that it can do because it doesn't have wings that's not made to fly. And when I saw that eagle, immediately I started thinking about just how powerful it is to have God's perspective in what it does to the enemy, because when you have God's perspective on something, when you see things like God sees things, it changes what, what happens in your life. And you can see this with, you can see this with Abraham in particular. I love the story of Abraham. I could spend all the rest of tonight and all through the night talking about Abraham, but uh, what God did for him, he took an impossible situation, and, and God's funny like this too. Sometimes he'll tell you you're going to do something you never even thought of before. He'll tell you things like that. Like, I'm, I'm writing books, and I can't even, You guys will see me write on a whiteboard. I'm like, how am I writing, how am I writing books? <laughs> I was terrible at, at, at school and whatever. And, you know, the Lord is like, I want you to do this, Kent. And I'm like, how? He's like, I'm going to give you what you need to write. And lo and behold, and I'm not saying that they're, you know, a New York Times bestseller, but I'm doing it. I'm doing something that I didn't think was possible for me to do. And God will speak for you to do things sometimes, oftentimes. In fact, if if you're not hearing about doing something that's bigger than you, you need to question whether you're really hearing the Lord or not. Because if it's within your ability to accomplish it, it's easier for you to get the glory out of it. But whenever you do something that you can step back and go, I can't do that, but I just did it, Jesus gets the glory for it. And so, you know, when you look at Abraham and the story of Abraham, the Lord came to him and he said, you know, I, you're going to have an entire nation that's going to be, that's going to come from you. It's going to come from your loins. And, you know, Abraham was a little, probably a little bit concerned, I'm sure, at that time. But like, you know, um, whatever he, the age he was, 70 or whatever at that time, 
when he got that word. I forget. But the, he was well past, he and Sarah were well past the childbearing years. So the Lord was saying, I'm going to do something through you that's impossible to be done, but I'm going to do it anyways. And, you know, the, the word talks about in Romans chapter 4 that, that he didn't consider his own body or the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, that is true once Abraham got to a certain point. Before that, we know that it's not true because he impregnated Hagar and out came Ishmael, which was not God's design as to how that thing was supposed to come to pass. So he took matters into his own hands and he tried to produce the work of God. Let me tell you something. If you, have to, if you produce something, you have to feed it. If you birth something, you have to feed it. And I don't know about you all, but I'm not looking for anything else uh, for me, I don't want any more Kent birthings. I want to birth, I want to give birth to what God has. I want to be impregnated with the things that God has so that when it comes out, he takes care of the thing. But you know, there was a, there was a time between when God spoke that word until with Abraham until Sarah was pregnant. And during that time, and if, you, if we look at this in, in Genesis chapter 15, this is what the Lord did for him. In Genesis chapter 15, in verse 5, it says, Then he, speaking of the Lord, brought him, speaking of Abraham, outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. So what was he, what was he doing? He was giving him a picture. He was giving him an image for him to look at, to base the promise off of. Because the only thing he had to look at at that point until God gave him a picture, an image on the inside, was the fact that he and Sarah were too old to have kids. And how many of y'all know that it's hard to believe God for things? It's impossible to really, you can't be in faith if you're looking at the natural circumstances. You have to have something to latch your faith onto, and that's why God will give us pictures, he'll give us words, that if we will take that, that's what the Bible calls hope, and it's the substance for faith. And so what God did was he told Abraham, as many as the stars in the heavens, and if you've never gone out, uh, like out in the country or something like that, to where there was no city lights, you need to do it. And go out and turn all the lights, you know, around your house or wherever you're at, turn them off on a clear night and look up. And I dare you to even try to count the stars. See, now they've got all these telescopes and things where they can, they can count them and they, they still can't count them. Do you, know, do you know that there are over, in the Milky Way galaxy alone, there are over 10 billion trillion stars. And that number is about 15 years old. I've been quoting that for 15, and I think, aren't they continuing to expand or something? I, I don't know. I just told you things way above my pay grade. But I do know that in the Milky Way galaxy, there are over 10 billion trillion. It's basically like the national debt is pretty much what that equates to. <laughs> uh, so that's in the Milky Way galaxy alone. I, I don't, does anybody know how many galaxies that there are in the universe, in the known universe? Billions and billions and billions and billions, I think I heard. So there's a lot of galaxies. One of them, the one we are in, the Milky Way galaxy, has 10 billion trillion stars. We can't even wrap our mind around that. Yet the Lord said, look up, and Moses, Moses, Abraham was on this earth, the same earth we are on, looking at the same stars that we look at. And God said, look at those. As many as you can count, so shall your descendants be. What was he doing when he was doing that? He was, he was telling him, he was speaking to him through picture form. See, we, we, work, we work in terms of, of picture. And if I tell everybody uh, car, you immediately think probably of your car or maybe your dream car or something like that. If I say dog, you think of whatever kind of dog that you, know, you have or you like or you hate them, whatever it might be. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry. Wendy hates them. They've been done. They're just not dog people. It's just all that all there is. We're we're praying for them, and you know, I one time when uh, some of the kids what uh, your kid that your kid people, amen. That's true. Yeah, right. Yeah. So one time we went and got this dog, and I took 
I had two of my boys, and I took two of your kids, and we drove up, and it was, the dog didn't work out anyways, but I dropped them off. It was late at night, and I dropped them off, and it was cold, and you opened the door, and they were, the kids were pretty little, and they're getting in, and I said, I said something like, you need to get, you need to get a dog, and he's standing at the front door, and he goes, my kids ain't getting no dog, and he shuts the door just like that. I said, okay, well, I don't think he likes dogs too much, so... Of course, he was kidding, and he wasn't really mad or angry, but uh, yeah, so anyways, okay, so when you say something like dog or cat or house or whatever, you picture something in your mind. You don't think C-A-T or D-O-G or H-O-U-S-E or if you're a car, a C-A-R. You're not thinking in terms of like spelling it. You think in terms of pictures, and God instilled this ability on the inside of us to be able to imagine because when we imagine things... Is, is the groundwork for how faith works. And so the Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, th- uh, 13, uh, in verse 13, I believe it is, it says that now uh, these, look at that, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And you know, we spend a lot of time talking about love, and we should because it's the greatest of the three. That's what it says right there. These three are going to remain, but the greatest is love. I think we should give the most emphasis on the greatest because that's what the Bible says is the greatest. I'm in agreement. But you know, if you're going to just, just use a little bit of logic here, if, if the last one that's listed is the greatest, then it would seem to, to reason that the second greatest would be the one before it and the third greatest would be the one before that. And, you know, we spend a, a lot more time talking about faith than we do talking about hope. And I think part of it is that we just maybe haven't had a revelation of hope. Great expectations. I'm sorry. That's fine. It's cool. It's fine. We're family, right? Somebody help him. It's okay. It's fine. So I, I don't even care, but when everybody goes like that, I'm like, all right, well, we'll wait a second. So it's fine. Did it stop? It's still, something. hey, hey, help him, grandson, help him. <laughs> That's why you have kids and then why you have grandkids. Amen. Hallelujah. So uh, what was I saying, by the way? See, y'all weren't paying attention. What? Oh, yeah, Faith Hill, you were. Thank you. Did you make it? Everybody give him a big hand. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So, um, Faith you got to have fun, yeah. Hey, listen, this, this is nothing. Uh, can we get back on track here, please, okay? Uh, it's over. Listen, I, this, is a tr- this is a true story. I'm going to tell you, this is a true story. And, and, and I can tell this because nobody, nobody would know this person. So you know where I'm going with this? You do. So years ago, we, had, we just had a kind of a normal midweek service, and we do different things with life, life groups and stuff now, but I was... Looking back, it's really funny. At the time, I was like, are you kidding me? But we're sitting. It was a Wednesday night service, and I was, I was ministering. Yeah, there was maybe 15 people there, maybe not. I don't know. And uh, I was ministering, and somebody's, somebody's phone rings, which that really doesn't bother me. I know it bothers the person when it rings, and, but if it keeps ringing, then other people are like, oh, what's going on? As if they've never heard a phone ring before. But, um, so, but this lady's phone was ringing, and I thought, well, she's just gonna shut. She's just gonna shut it off. I mean, that's that's the reasonable thing to do when you're sitting in church is to shut it off. But no, she didn't do that. She picks the phone up and she goes, "Hello," just and I'm I'm up here ministering. I was like, "All right, well, I didn't want to embarrass her, but I'm just going to stop at this point." And she goes, and you couldn't hear the other person, but she goes, "Oh, nothing much. What are you doing?" I thought, if I'm not, I was like, "Listen, we are all waiting for you." to get done with your conversation. So please end it or take it outside, however, however I said it. And so uh, I don't think she came back after that. I don't, I don't know. But anyways, so hallelujah. So I've, I've, I've been to the top as far as phones in the service. It's no problem. But when, when, it, when it comes to, uh, you know, when it comes to this ability that God's given us, he's given a, us an ability in him to see things, to imagine things, and that's the basis. It's the foundation of faith. And we spend a lot of time in our, and I love teaching on faith. I love, I love reading about faith. I love reading books about faith. I love li- listening to messages, messages about faith. I, I be a faith guy. But 
the Bible says in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, it says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So if you don't have hope, your faith has no substance. Now faith, do we have it up there? It says now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if you want to have true Bible faith, you have to have true Bible hope. Well, what is, what is hope? Hope, this is, this is my understanding of hope, and I believe that it's accurate. I think you could put a lot more in it, but it's basically using your imagination in a positive way. And that's, that's simple, and I think everybody can grab a hold of that, but doing it is another thing. Because we get so, and I'm not using this as a crutch like it's impossible or too difficult, but we get bombarded with so much stuff that oftentimes we lose sight or we get distracted or we have the enemy come in and, and plague our mind. And this is why he works in the realm of, of the mind. This is also, though, why God will work in the realm of the mind. It's like, what, what are we listening to? What are we thinking about? What are we meditating on? Because what we think about, what we meditate on, what we put our attention to that's the thing that we're going to believe, and what we believe is what we're going to manifest in our life. So believing is correct, right believing is correct, but it's almost like if you're like trying to believe right, like say for healing or something, it's like, I know I'm healed, I know I'm healed, I'm healed in Jesus' name. It's like you got the right doctrine, and intellectually you know that you're healed. You can read it from the Bible, but on the inside you're picturing yourself dead, you're picturing yourself sick, you're imagining yourself never getting past that thing. Now you have a conflict and you're being double-minded. Probably not intentionally, but that's the reality of where you would be at that particular situation. And a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord. And so when it comes to seeing faith work, when it comes to having forward movement, we have to deal with the issue of hope first. We have to deal with the issue of our imagination. It says in Isaiah 26 and 3, it says that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You know that word mind there, one, one way it can be translated is imagination. And so if you read it like that, it takes on a little bit different tone. It says you will keep him in perfect peace whose imagination is stayed on you, God, because he trusts in you. And so there's, there's something that goes deeper more than just like, oh, I'm thinking about you, Jesus. But when we go into this place of using our imagination, you could even say meditation. You know that meditation has been, has been robbed by Eastern mysticism and things like that. And whenever you say the word meditation, people think you mean like, mm, you know, when you do your fingers like that or whatever they do and cross your legs. <laughs> that, that is a form of, med uh, of meditation. It's an evil form of meditation and it taps into demonic stuff you don't want to be tapped into. But the idea of meditating, that idea came from God and it belongs to us. Because when we meditate, we set our mind, we set our affections, we set our thinking, we set our heart on what God says, on what's true. That's where hope is built. And if you have hope, now you have substance to your faith. Because see, faith, faith, you know, people say, well, how, how do you receive the promises of God? It's basically by grace through faith. There's different places in the Word that talks about this. Ephesians chapter 2 and around verse uh, 9, I think it is. And then also in Romans chapter 4 and verse 17, it talks about things coming by grace through faith. Grace is what God does to supply. Faith is what we do to respond to God's grace. But oftentimes things are just said that leave out details just for the sake of saying it. But the truth is, is that there's a connection between seeing God's grace and seeing manifestation and faith will bring it into manifestation, but there's another element in there and it's hope. And hope is when you come to a place on the inside of you to where you positively use your imagination to think and to meditate on the things of God. You know, it says in Lamentations, which I know everyone was reading that this morning, Lamentations 3 and 21, it is a book in the Bible, amen, and so it's God's word. We just don't go there much, but it says this. It says, this I recall to my mind. And if you go and read it, he lists a bunch of things in there about God's mercy and about God's um, uh, ability and hope and I, different things. Uh, but it says, this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. So if you go, well, how do I get hope? 
you recall to your mind, you recall to your thinking, you recall to your heart, to your belief system, what God says. And this is where the help of the Holy Spirit, going back to Romans chapter 15, when we read that verse, let's go back and read that again. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word power there is the word dunamis. How many of y'all know what the word dunamis means? It means miracle working power. When we think about miracle working power, we often think about, you know, healing, like, like outward miracles, the dead being raised, blind eyes open. And that is part of what, what dunamis is for. But you know what? There's also, because hope, hope takes place on the inside of us. That's where hope is at. And there is a place for the miracle working power of God to resurrect hope on the inside of us. That's what it says right here. It says that you may abound, not just have enough hope, but that you may ab abound in hope. And this is how I see it. Enough hope is like, you know, you've got a glass and, and you pour it and the glass gets filled. You have enough hope. If it was overflowing, you would keep pouring a little bit more. But like abounding in hope is to where, you know, you take like a whole truckload and just dump it on the thing. I mean, you have way more than what you need. Why would you need, why would you get way more hope than what you need? This would be my answer because that's what it means to abound. And actually, if you look it up, it means to super abound. It's way, be, it's way beyond what you actually need. I believe that God's design and desire is that we are so filled with hope, or you could say expectation, God kind of expectation that no matter what hits us, we are always, always prepared. We're always ready to be able to handle it. So you can't control a lot of outside circumstances. There's just things in this life you can't control. There are things in this life that you can control, and there are things in this life that you cannot but what you can always, 100% of the time, for sure, guaranteed that you can deal with is you can deal with this right here. You can deal with your belief system. You can deal with your heart, and you can deal with your mind. You can deal with the way that you're thinking, what you're processing, what you're meditating on. You can always deal with that. But the way that you deal with it positively is that you have to have hope in your heart. You have to have hope in your mind and in your life. And where hope comes from, I think there's, there's different things that you could say what would bring hope. It has to be according to God's word. It has to be according to the truth of his word. But it's the Holy Spirit. It's the working of the Holy Spirit that makes that hope come alive on the inside of us. This is the difference between somebody who will read, by his stripes we are healed, and go, that's God's word. And then somebody else read it and go, by God, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. That's what the Holy Ghost will do to you. I remember being in a time in my life to where... I had these, these different friends, and uh, they're not really friends anymore, and uh, you got to be careful who you hang around, but they were, they were good people. They still are good people, but the Lord was teaching me, and I was getting revelation, and I was reading the Word, and it wasn't just what somebody else was saying. God was making it come alive on the inside of me. I mean, I was alive. I prayed for every sick thing that came across my path. I mean, I was believing God for, for everything. And I would go and I would tell these friends, I would say, look what God showed me. Ah! And I didn't know how, it was, it was a not relaxed intensity. I've, I've learned, I'm learning relaxed intensity. I'm still pretty fired up about it. But I, I, didn't know, I didn't know how to hone that very well. And so I freaked a lot of people out and I drove a lot of people away. But some of them just needed to go away because they weren't going to believe what the word said. But I couldn't understand how is it that I'm reading this and it's, I'm so alive. I mean, it's like, wow, heaven's speaking to me. God's speaking to me. God said this. And they're looking at me and they're like, well, you know, brother, I I literally have this. And I, I couldn't compute that. All right, let me just say, I couldn't compute that. And finally, I realized that somebody who has a revelation, who has, you could say, Holy Ghost breathe hope on the inside of, inside of them, other people cannot compute that. I didn't get that, but they can't compute it because the word of God is a living word and it's made for God to breathe life and for him to cause the thing to come alive. And the reason he designed it like that is because he doesn't want a bunch of, uh, in a, I'll just, in a, yeah, intellectual hard-hearted people. Let's say it like that. I was going to say it different, but that would be very nice. I'm trying to be nicer as I get older. Uh, I'm trying to make more friends. You, you win more people with honey than you do vinegar, right? Liz is like, yeah, amen. He finally got it. But, 
<laughs> but um, God doesn't want intellectual, hard-hearted people to pick up the word and go, well, I have God figured out. You know, when you find somebody that's arguing with you about stuff, it's because they think they have God figured out. I'm too, I'm, I'm too, I'm too much of a realist to go and argue with people because I realize, first of all, they're probably not going to listen to me. And second of all, I don't have everything figured out. And thirdly, I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine anymore. If I've got a precious, valuable thing that God has placed within me, those that want to hear it, I will release it, and they will be blessed thereby. But for the ones that are like, yeah, and they want to argue about stuff, I'm like, God bless you. Be ye warmed and filled. But I'm going to go on about my way with the Holy Ghost and have God continue to trans- transform me, and you can do whatever you want to do. And, you know, I've had these friends that, you know, we're part of different, uh, as a part of their couple different circles and Anyways, I just, I don't, we're all live stream, so I just try to be careful what I say and whatever. But, uh, you know, um, I'm not friends with those people anymore. And I moved on with the Lord. And they're still stuck back and I've got God figured out, but having no results in their life. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is a real person. The Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead. And he's given to us to cause hope, to cause revelation, to cause things to come alive on the inside of us. We're made by God to have relationship with him like that. I'm going to take a few moments here, and I'm going to show you something very quickly. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm just going to lay hands on some people, and we're going to have a good old Holy Ghost time here to finish up. Does that sound good to you all? Amen. So let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down and write it down fast. I'm not going to have time to give all the explanation behind this. But here's the thing is that if you have the Holy Spirit and you need hope, and it says Right here, we just read it in Romans chapter 15, that the Holy Spirit, that, let me read it again so I don't botch it. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, that sounds all good and wonderful. How? I'm glad you asked. Here's how you get it. Look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1. It says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now, this is Paul's giving this writing to the Corinthians to try and help them be able to take the gifting that they have and use it properly within the church setting because they were doing, they were, they were, uh, you know, about a Honda, should about a Honda, probably all out of order in their services and they needed, about a Honda, should about a Honda. How do you pray in tongues? Just like this, about a Honda, should about a Honda. And so he had to give them something. That's not really how you do it, okay? People are like, oh, I can't believe you said blasphemy. <laughs> Just a joke. But um, <laughs> so he was giving them some understanding. Stop it, Kent. You're wasting your time. Verse, verse 3, it says, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So he's saying, look, you can go around praying in tongues, and it doesn't... It, it doesn't benefit other people for them to hear you pray in tongues. Now, we have times, and I think when Donna and Quinn be both at the end of when they were ministering to where we prayed in tongues and did things like that together, and we were just moving and flowing in the Lord together. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But to just be in front of somebody, and, and you can imagine a group of people, this is how I see it, is they probably got a hold of this, this gift of tongues, and it was like, you know, that's, that's how I imagine it in my mind. And Paul's like, look, 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 look. You praying in tongues isn't helping anybody else. You praying in tongues is supposed to help you. But if you really want to help other people, it's better that you would prophesy because if you prophesy, you're going to edify them with words from the Lord that they can understand. But what he wasn't doing was saying that praying in tongues isn't, isn't of benefit. No, praying in tongues has tremendous benefit. And, and I can tell you now that I wouldn't be standing here today if I didn't pray in tongues. Amen. And so here in verse 4, it says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And so then some people would say, well, I'm just going to prophesy, and I'm not going to pray in tongues because Paul says it's better to to do that so I can edify the church. Well, I've never met anybody that prophesied accurately that didn't first pray in tongues. Every accurate prophecy I've ever heard that I would consider to be accurate came from somebody who prayed in tongues. But the next thing he says here is that I wish you all spoke with tongues. If you go on down and keep reading in the chapter, he says, I pray in tongues more than ye all. 
So there's something about this tongue business that we really need to, I mean, it's, we're so far beyond the point of saying we need to latch onto this, but it is the truth of the day that we're, li- that we're living in. The church has fought against it for so long. And whenever you see the majority of people fight against something, it puts doubt in people's minds. Because the majority, like if you go, you can go up and down the whole, what do we call this whole area here? Like mineral area, that's right. I knew, I knew, I almost said lead belt, but we are part of the lead belt here too, aren't we? Yeah. Anyways, this whole up and down 67 here. And you go and you go in most of the churches, most of them are either against praying in tongues or they have a terrible relationship with praying in tongues or they are ignorant of praying in tongues. And yet Paul here, the writer of the New Testament, of two-thirds of the New Testament, said he prays in tongues more than all of the Corinthian church. And I believe that was probably all of them put together. I think he prayed in tongues all the time. And so obviously he had a revelation about it. Obviously he considered it to be important. Otherwise he wouldn't have been praying in tongues. And do you know that every person that wrote a, a book in the New Testament was a tongue talker? Do you know that Mother Mary was a tongue talker? She was in the upper room. I love telling Catholics that. I'm like, you want to pray like Mary? They're like, oh, yes. And I'm like, okay, here you go. What's that? She was in the upper room, and she prayed in tongues. That'll really flip a Catholic out. But anyways, so uh, not that I'm trying to make anybody upset or whatever, but I do that naturally. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. So there's something to praying in tongues that we really need to, to re-examine and say, God, what is in this? Is it just a bunch of Pentecostals acting weird and jumping pews and wiping their brow and, you know, flopping on the floor? Or is there something? And a lot of that, I'm like, yeah, I don't really want a part of some of that stuff. But anyways, you know, um, there's something to this that I think the church has missed. And we have been fighting the war in our mind and losing because we've been fighting with the wrong weapons. The battle place is in the mind and we have these thoughts, we have these, these terrible things that come and depression, anxiety and worry and all the things that come that bombard us. And, and I, I shared this statistic this morning and I probably shared it other times too, but pre-COVID, pre-COVID, the mental illness, and this is according to the, to the people that know this, I don't remember. It's like the National Health Association, Mental Health Association, something like that. Pre-COVID, the mental health percentage in the nation was thir- at about 13%, I believe the number was, right, right around there. During COVID, and if we want to say we're post-COVID, the mental illness was, I don't remember the exact number, but it was over 50%. Now, let me ask you a question. Are there really more mentally ill people, that many more mentally ill people in a two-year span in our nation? No, there's not that many more mentally ill people. But it exposed, and we're not just talking about, we're not just talking about non-believers, we're talking about Christians too. The percentages are about the same for both of them. What it did is it revealed people's inability to be able to handle hopeless situations. It revealed the church's inability to handle hopeless situations. Do you know that hopelessness is, is always around us? It's always part. I'm not saying it's always in us, but it's always in the world. I mean, you look at the stock market. You look at just the crazy things going on in the world. It can, if you're looking at it, it can feel hopeless. But you know that Abraham said that in hope, contrary to hope, meaning when all hope was lost because he was in hope, He fulfilled the promise that God had for his life. He rose above. Think about the mental things that Abraham had to rise above. I know what I've seen in my heart, and Liz can attest to you firsthand, the the battle that that I have fought over the years in my mind to just stand up and believe that the God in me is greater than the man that I look in the mirror. It's funny, sometimes people... Just not very many, but some people be like, oh, he's really arrogant. I've heard people say stuff like that. Sorry, I got something in my eye. <laughs> he's really arrogant. No, no, no. What I am is I am a man that knows that I can do nothing without him. And when I get in the secret place with Jesus, it causes me to rise to another level to where I'm like, come on, world. 
Come on, devil, come at me if you want. The God in me is greater than anything that you would bring at me. It, it, it'll cause you to have that kind of, we need more people with that. Well, how do you do that? How do you, how do you get that? How do you get to a place? And I interrupted myself. You look at Abraham. How do you get to a place where like with Abraham to where God says, You're, think about it for a second. Imagine being 80 years old. Let's just use 80 as an average number, okay? Imagine you were 80 years old and an angel of the Lord appears to you and says, you're going to have a child. Your wife is going to get, get pregnant. If you're the wife, you're going to be the one that gets pregnant. Imagine that. You would say, get behind me, Satan. You're, you're disguised as an angel of light. Like you, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't want to believe that. Everything in your mind would say, that can't happen. You're too old. You're too far past. This was a real thing. It wasn't just like what Liz was saying. It wasn't just a story. These things actually literally happened in the Word. They happened. God did these things. And they had to face what was coming at them and rise above it. How did Abraham rise above it? Hope. In hope, contrary to hope, he did not consider his own body nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. How, how could he not consider that? Imagine, how could he not consider that? He didn't consider it because he was looking up to the stars in heaven and he was saying, God, that's what you said. And as I'm sitting here and counting, I can imagine every time that Abraham went out at night, he probably was dealing with, I got to work past something here. I got to believe what God said. One, two, three, four, five hundred, a thousand. And he get to the point where he's like, okay, God, I believe you. Why? Because he was taking that picture and he was causing it to be real on the inside of him. We have to do that same thing. And we have to quit fighting with natural tools, with natural thinking, and step into the, step into the help and the hope of the Holy Spirit. Overabundant supernatural help and hope of the Holy Spirit. Look at here, four things I'm going to give you very quickly about praying in tongues. Because this is a bridge to get you in to receiving the hope, of the, the hope, the supernatural abounding hope of the, of the Holy Spirit. So it says that he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. I'm going to give you two things about this word right here that are very important. To edify means just that. You edify. You, so here's what happens when you pray in tongues. Four things, okay? You edify yourself, which means that you build yourself up. Is there anybody in here that's at a point to where you don't need edified in, in your life? I think that's probably everybody in here. Well, praying in tongues is one way that you can solve that equation as far as edifying yourself. When you pray in tongues, it says you edify yourself. And this is, this is like an enigma to the mind. It's meant to be an enigma to the mind. It's meant to be so that you can't figure it out and can't take control of it. I've been praying in tongues for 22 years, I'll say. And I still, sometimes I'll be praying in tongues. And when I'll, when I'll stop and think about it, I'll go, gosh, that sounds ridiculous. I have no idea what I'm saying. Does anybody have any idea what I just said there? I don't, but it's supernatural because I've taken my tongue and I've submitted it to the Lord and I've taken my brain completely out of the way and I've said, God, do something in me because I can't do what needs to be done in me. I can't fill me with hope, but God, you can fill me with hope, so I'm putting my trust in you. That's why you do it. And, and, and it's supernatural. It edifies you, and this is why religion mocks, at it, mocks it. They mock it. Religion mocks this all of the time. They call people like us cults. They call people like me a cult leader. <laughs> I mean, I'm not doing what Jesus did. Jesus was like, if you don't drink my blood and eat my flesh, you'll have no part of me. Imagine if I said that, then they would really. Anyways, praise God. This is just Bible, man. This is just Bible. This is just what God's given us to be able to do what he's asked us to do on this earth and do it in victory. When you pray in tongues, you edify yourself. That word edify, another meaning of it is to make bold. It's to make bold. I, I get, uh, confession time. Before we started tonight, I was like, uh, I was dealing with a little bit of uh, timidity. I was dealing with a little bit of kint. I went up in my office and I prayed in tongues. And I walked in like this and I walked out like this. On the inside, I didn't literally strut like that. <laughs> we have a peacock for a pastor. Um, you don't know what you would say if you were up here, okay? So just show, show me mercy. 
Jesus. But it, it will it will cause you it will cause you to be bold. It will. It'll cause you it'll cause a boldness to rise up in you. The things that you once you couldn't do, now all of a sudden you'll be able to do. Let me give you two more things. I'm sorry, three more things. I said four, I meant five. Uh, is in verse 13. I am so messed up. No, if you turned on to verse 13, uh, it says here, okay, I need to get through this. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue. Uh, pray, pray, pray that he may, come on, Jesus help me, Holy Spirit help me. Therefore, let him who prays in a tongue pray that he may interpret it. Here's number, here's number, that's not the right one. I already gave you number two. Edify, make bold. Nope. Number one is edify. Number two is make bold. Thank you, Artie. You're following me closely. Here we go. Verse 14. Here's number three. Is to, it will bypass, you'll bypass your mind. Verse 14, it says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. You ever been in a busy intersection? Or, or, or I mean, gone through a city that was really busy? Oh, man. Thank you, Jesus. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost is all over me. Uh, <clears throat> Sorry for those of you who've never listened to me before. I'm not normally like this. But if you had take like St. Louis, you know, they, they have these bypasses around these cities that you go, you go, you go around it. That's kind of like when you pray in tongues, you bypass all the busyness. And when your mind is shot from the world, from the devil, whatever it is, you're dealing with stuff, stuff you just need to pray in tongues because you know you can't get past all the congestion going on in your mind. The depression, the anxiety, the fear, the worry. How do you deal with that? If you try to think your way out of it, you're going to lose. Let me tell you something. If you try to think your way out of it, you will lose. If you pray your way out of it, and sometimes you don't know what to pray. This is where you start praying in tongues and you totally bypass your mind. Your mind is un, it's unfruitful. It doesn't know what you're saying. So logic would say, human nature would say, why would I say something that I don't understand? Because you're taking your tongue and you're submitting it to the Lord and he's able to do something with it. So that's number three. Number four is in verse 13. It says, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. There's a tongue, an interpretation of tongue that takes place, can take place in a church, in a service, in a group of people where someone will pray in a tongue, and then there will be someone that has an interpretation to that tongue, right? We can find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is saying that the person that prays in a tongue, that he should pray that he will interpret it. So when you start praying in tongues, you don't have understanding of what you're saying, which is a good thing because you can bypass all the congestion in your mind. But then on top of that, you can pray that you get an interpretation to what you're saying because when someone prays in tongues, they're praying the hidden wisdom of God in a mystery. I don't know about you, but I want the wisdom of God to not just be, remain a mystery, but to become revelation to me. And when revelation comes, then you get answers and solutions for things that you need. Hallelujah. And the last thing here, number five. So let me go through the four. Edify, make bold, bypass your mind, uh, interpretation. You can get an interpretation. These are reasons or things that happen when you pray, will happen when you pray in tongue. And number five is that you keep yourself in the love of God. And this is Jude. You can go to Jude chapter one. There's only one chapter, Jude chapter one. And in verse 20 and 21, it says, but you beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. That's talking about praying in tongues. I've had people say, oh brother, that's not praying in tongues. That's Praying in the Spirit. Okay, please tell me, how do you pray in the Spirit? Oh, will you? And nobody can give me an explanation for it. It's praying in tongues is what it is. And the reason that we know this is because I've experienced this thousands of times in my life. The next verse says in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Do you know a lot of times that, and this is number five, is that you keep yourself in the love of God. That's one of the biggest struggles in life is that everything, everything around us naturally speaking, oftentimes tells us that we are not loved. We don't know how to love ourselves right. People don't know how to love us right. We have to work for a paycheck. Nothing is based on grace and love in this life except for God. And you know what? You have to keep yourself in his love. You have to, you have to work to do that. You don't have to work to get God to love you, but you have to work to keep yourself in a place of remembering just how loved you are by God. And it's supernatural. 
where you can start praying in tongues, and the next thing you know, you'll be like, man, God loves me. Man, he just cares for me so much. The, the, the greatest revelations I've had on the love of God, <laughs> the greatest revelations I've had on the love of God, I'm sorry, I'm trying to work through this and finish. Now I'm going to pray for you all. Has been when I prayed in tongues, and the next thing I know, I have fountains, waves, oceans of the love of God that's just being poured. The greatest revelations. I, I just wrote a whole book that will come out sometime next year on God's kind of love. And it's awesome. And I, looking back, I realized almost all of the revelation that I got on God's kind of love came from times when I was desperate, if I can say that, and I needed a touch from God. I prayed in tongues, and His love overwhelmed me. And not only did it change here as far as like what I was experiencing at the moment, but it changed my understanding about who God was and His love for me. And I'm telling you, praying in tongues is awesome. It's the bridge between being hopeless, and stepping into hope in your life. It'll edify you. It will build you up. You can bypass all the congestion. You can get an interpretation, and you can stay in the love of God when you pray in tongues. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit Overcomers Church International.com. 